All right, so we're going to continue our study, obviously, through Ecclesiastes at lightning speed. Um, Just not going to go do a real big recap, but most of you have been in here uh, from the beginning, and I appreciate that. Um, But last week, we were going through chapter 5, if you remember, and we were talking a little bit about... um, don't be rash with your mouth. You know, God's in heaven and we're here on this earth. We need to give God the honor and the glory and the respect that he deserves um, because he is our creator. We need to watch ourselves, how we conduct ourselves, you know, in the presence of the Lord. Really, not just here for worship service, but every day of our lives, we need to make sure we conduct, conduct ourselves as Christians, right? And it's not just here when we're here for worship service on Sunday. And it says, you know, be quick uh, to speak. Uh, I'm sorry. Quick to listen, slow to speak. (laughs) Help me out. Uh, That will keep you out of a lot of trouble right there, I promise you. Somebody even mentioned last week that you always heard that, you know, it's better to somebody to think that way than for you to open your mouth and speak, and then that just confirms the foolishness sometimes so that we'll carry on with. Um, we also mentioned as far as taking a vow to God. You remember we always making vows to God. Um, everyone sitting here tonight that's a Christian have made vows to God as far as being a Christian. Uh, you're a member of this congregation. That's a vow to, to God in this congregation. And you, so, and you know what we're talking about. If you make a vow to God, it's... According to the scripture, what Solomon told us, you better keep it. You better keep your vow. Uh, don't just brush it off as a, oh, I didn't mean it, or it was an error, or I you know, misspoke. Because we will be held accountable for it, uh, and we will have to repay that. Then we mentioned as far as, but fear God, and fear being more, Grady mentioned it last week, as good as anybody. It's more of a, a fear out of respect. You respect the, who he is, and you respect his position. Uh, not so much that you're shaking in your boots scared, but you realize who he is and what he is, and that's going to make you respect you know, our Lord and our creator. Then to kind of catch us up to kind of where we ended off, we mentioned um, the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. And, you know, we mentioned a little bit how the sleep of the laborer man, how sweet that was, how he's dog-tired at the end of the day from working, maybe not quite as much on his mind as a rich man, and he can just knock out and sleep. So if you're, if you're going off how much money somebody's got, I should sleep real good at night. So I should sleep real well. But the rich man, he can't sleep quite as good, right? He's got all this running through his head. He's worried. Worried about, you know, where his money's going or who's got his money and how can I make more money? You know, it's all about making more money and more money. And then I mentioned John D. Rockefeller. You know, I said, uh, someone asked him how much money he wanted, and he said, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. So, and if we're not careful, we can catch ourselves in that same scenario, right? Uh, Along those same lines, John D. Rockefeller, I'm going to kind of pick up there. Sounds like Grady did a little research or about him as well, but um, his life was actually almost ruined by wealth. Uh, at the age of 33, 
Rockefeller was one of the world's, well, he was the world's only billionaire at that time, at the age of 33, uh, earning about a million dollars a week. And that was a long time ago. You know, that wasn't just a few years ago. That was a long, long time ago. But he was sick. He was a sick man, and he lived off crackers. They said he lived off crackers and milk, you know, laying around in his bed. Um, and he couldn't sleep because of all the worry he had. Here you got a filthy rich man, but he was so worried and sick and let his health deteriorate, eating crackers, laying in his bed sick, worrying. <clears throat> and they told him he was 33 then. I'm sorry, 53. I don't know why I said 33. 53. And they told him, doctors told him, you're not going to live to make it to 54 in your condition, the way you're living. Long story short, he started giving his money away. He started giving it away to different people and charities and doing good things and happy things with it. And guess what happened? Got better, and the man lived to be 97 or 98 years old. So just because his attitude changed and he wasn't so worried about money, you know, worried about money. It's what you do with the money. It's not the money itself, but it's about what you do with, his, with the money. <clears throat> this is, we're going to pick up, let's see, verse, chapter 5, verse 13. Let's start there tonight. Chapter 5 and starting in verse 13, and I think I'm going to read down through 17. There is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun. Riches kept for their owner to his hurt. But those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there is nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came. And he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. <clears throat> and this also is a severe evil. Just exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit? has he who has labored for the wind. All his days he also eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. So here we got uh, Solomon basically, what does this kind of remind you of? Does anybody can think of what this might be referring to? It's kind of got like a show on TV that kind of makes you kind of think about hoarding, right? Got a, like a <laughs> Jim's got all them TV shows running through his head. Magnum P.I. Who wants to be a millionaire? Now, basically, hoarding is a grievous evil. Uh, In the end, selfish greed only leads uh, to the hurt of the hoarder. Um, You know, it's been said, who has no money is poor, but who has nothing but money is even poorer. It's kind of hard to imagine, isn't it? But I think we've seen it over and over in our lives, all the different people that have all this filth, all this money, filthy rich, but they're just as miserable and no better off than the than than the poor guy. Um, and the truth is, we show what we love by what we do with what we have. Uh, if we're generous and giving the Lord's work and caring for others, of course, uh, we're going to have peace, right? no matter how much money you have, whether you're rich or or poor. Uh, If we choose to hoard, though, we will have hurt. But those riches perish through misfortune. So we have here Solomon, he's almost picturing a person spending his whole life saving, right? Just hoarding these things up and 
keeping all of his money and all of his things, you know, and just all that he can. But then misfortune strikes. And boy, we've seen this before, right? Misfortune strikes. You get sick, terminally ill. Somebody has a car accident. Um, They're, for whatever reason, they can't work anymore and they're disabled. Or they get put into a nursing home and you know how quick that can suck your money out of you. You know, any of those things, just in a flash, all that you had, you know, it could be a bad investment too. And I was thinking earlier about that Enron scandal. You know how many people were on top of the world back then and just like that? I mean, there was people in bad shape and, you know, killing themselves and you name it, you know. Tell you what money will do to you right there. But both riches perish through misfortune. And he says, just exactly as he came, so shall he go. Okay, in verse 15, um, we pretty much kind of come to the naked truth, right? He says, uh, he understood great wealth ultimately means nothing under the sun. You know, man comes with nothing into this world, and guess what? He's going to leave the same way. Can someone read 1 Timothy 6, 7 for me real quick? Let's see what the New Testament says. There you go. 1 Timothy 6, 7 says the same thing Solomon's saying. Hey, you were naked and with nothing when you got here. Guess what? You ain't taking nothing with you. You're going to be in the same situation. Solomon writes, as he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He'll take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. Uh, we've even coined a phrase over the years, haven't we? As far as having his birthday suit on. You're going to be in your birthday suit. <clears throat> Proverbs 23, verse 4 and 5 says, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Seize from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For, wealthy, for wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle, that flies towards the heavens. I thought it was kind of cool too. <clears throat> I wish I could say I made this up on my own, but I didn't. Uh, if you think about it, if you look at a dollar bill, what's on the back of a dollar bill? <clears throat> it's got an eagle on the back. His wings are flapping, right? And I was reading something how that's pretty ironic that that's biblical. Because if you're like me and you got a dollar bill in your wallet, it's just going to fly on out every time. $100 here, $1,000, but all of it's going to fly right out. So he's pretty true. <laughs> Jetpack. <laughs> I'm lucky if I have a dollar bill in my billfold half the time, so i got to figure out how to grow them things. But that's what they make themselves wings and fly away. Then he says, all his days he also eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. Um, here Solomon, he's kind of reminding us that despite of all of our work and wealth, of course, one, we're going to die, right? Uh, but, he, he, but to make matters even worse, if we're obsessed with wealth in this life, um, happiness is going to avoid us. You know, we're, we're not going to have the happiness. Andrew Carnegie once said, millionaires seldom smile. Millionaires seldom smile. It's hard to, hard to fathom that, but it's true. Money can't console you when you're lonely, when you're ill, uh, during hardship. In fact, if you think about it, 
Money can cause illnesses and ulcers, and, and the little bit of money I do have makes me sick when something happens to it, so I can imagine uh, somebody with a little bit more money. And for what? For what? We're going to read 18, 19, and 20. So we've, we've had a lot of bad news, it seems like, up to this point, right? I mean, there's been some, some bad stuff and a little bit of negative, and now we're going to kind of have a little bit of good news, I guess you could say. Um, and actually, in these next few verses, we're going to hear the God mentioned like three or four times in these next few verses, which is kind of a, a little shift from what he was talking about as well. Verse 18, here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him, for it is his heritage. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. For he will not dwell unduly on the days unduly on the days of his life, because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. Even though we may assume, you know, it's talking about work here. A lot of us, I think, <laughs> we think about work and we think about almost a, a negative thing, don't we? People don't like to talk about work. They they talk about that as more of a a bad thing than a good thing. Um, but work, would you say that it's a gift? A gift from God? Yeah. A lot of people wouldn't think that, right? But work is actually a gift from God. Um, and if you think about it, you know, how you can kind of look at that. Um, work, think about it, you know, one, you have a job to work, as he has mentioned here. But, you know, God gives you the health, right? The blood pumping through your veins. Everything that's set up for success, it all comes from God. Tony? That, yep, Jim? No, I was just going to say, if y'all remember, there used to be a TV show on, right? Am I thinking right? That showed people that just in that situation that they would, like, hit the lottery and <laughs> two weeks later they're broke. Because they didn't know, you know, how to what to do with their money. They just, and you're right. I always run through my head, what am I going to do with the money? And I always, because we were talking about the other day with just the boys, how these sports players that has millions and millions of dollars, and all of a sudden they're broke and have nothing and lose everything. I always said the first thing I do, I'm going to take that first million and put it back somewhere, dig a hole, whatever. And if worse come to worse, I'm going to have at least a million dollars. I say that, but it might not happen. Uh, Jim, and then Roger. I like what Solomon's doing here, showing. That's right. I mean, if you stop and think about it, you're absolutely right. I mean, every the money that you make, there's a, like I said earlier, there's so much before that. The health that God gave you, the means, the everything that leads up to making that money, it's all from God. You know, the only thing you can take with you is what you gave away. I like that. That's good. That makes sense. I agree. And I'm going to, in my notes in here somewhere, I'm going to quote one of our dear brothers, Chuck Fetters, but not right now. <laughs> I think most of y'all know what that is. 
But you're right. You know, what are you doing and how well are you managing the money you have now? You're absolutely right. Did I miss anybody? Yes, Julie, I knew there was somebody. Yeah, and that's pretty much what she was saying in a nutshell. Learning to be comfortable and content with what you have and what are you doing with the little bit of money that you do have, you know? No, you said you put a different twist on it. <laughs> Anything else? All right, he says, here is what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink. Hey, we've heard this many times already, right? To eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself and all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his heritage or reward. So I'm saying, look, you know, work hard, enjoy, you know, the money that you have and, and have fun and eat well and enjoy it. This is your heritage. This is your reward from God. Kind of like what Jim said, this is from God, you know. <clears throat> God gives mankind work as a reward. I know we don't think of it as a reward. Most of us think of work far from a reward, but basically it is our reward. And this ought to motivate us, you know, and to keep us to express our gratitude for our jobs instead of always complaining about it. We need to wake up and be excited about it at 4 o'clock in the morning, Cheryl. She's pretty excited at 4 in the morning. But we're to, to be excited and thank the Lord that we have our hearts beating and our feet hit the floor and we can actually go to work and do our job and give God the glory and the thanks for it. So the last couple of verses here, they're going to emphasize the truth that our wealth comes directly from the hand of God. And that's pretty much, of course, what we've been talking about. It says, furthermore, as for to every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, <clears throat> he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God, for he will not often consider the years of his life. Uh, because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. So these last couple of verses demonstrate, you know, that wealth is not condemned. Um, God has given us the riches and the wealth that we have. Um, but like Jim said, too, and I, I, I got a buddy of mine that I want to, every time they, he always thinks he did it. I did it. I earned it. I worked for it. God didn't have nothing to do with that, you know. God didn't do that. I did it. I woke up and went to work and earned this money. And you just want to take him and, you know, tell him what we've been talking about tonight. You know, it's the grace of God that you even got up this morning to go to work to make that money. But some people just, you know, obviously if you're of the world and you're not a Christian, you think of things a little bit different. You know, you don't see things the same, the same way. Uh, but we always need to remember going back, like I said, we're all the... All of our strength and, and all of our willingness to do, you know, that all uh, comes from God. And he wants us to enjoy it, right? Even if we do got to get up and go to work every day, he wants us to enjoy it. Because if that's our reward from him, he obviously wants us to enjoy it, you know? That's absolutely right. That's your reward from God. Whether, you're right, whether it's $3 or $3,000, you know? You can look at it the same way. Man, if you think about it, aren't we the ones that put wealth or a number or a status on money anyhow? 
We're the ones that says whether somebody is rich or not. But God, to Jim's point, God is, you know, telling us, hey, we're all wealthy. We all have a reward, whether it's a few bucks or a few thousand. That's a good point, Jim. I'm going to read a story here. It's pretty, pretty neat. It says there's a story told of a rich industrialist who came across a simple fisherman. So pretty much here's a rich man that came across a simple fisherman. The rich man was quite perturbed to see the fisherman just sitting back with his feet up next to his boat on a Sunday afternoon on a sunny afternoon. The rich man told him, he said, Why aren't you out there fishing? he demanded. Because I've caught enough fish for the day, replied the fisherman. Why don't you catch more fish? asked the rich man. What would I do with them? You could earn more money, said the rich man, who was becoming more impatient. You could buy a better boat. You could go deeper and catch more fish. You could purchase nylon nets, catch even more fish, and make even more money. Then you could buy more boats, and then you could hire others to help you fish. Soon you would have a fleet of boats and would be rich, just like me. Then what would I do? You could sit down. And enjoy life, said the industrialist. The fisherman said, what do you think I'm doing right now? What do you think I'm doing right now? <laughs> That's pretty neat, isn't it? It's all how you look at things. That old fisherman was content and happy right where he was. He knew he didn't have to go out and make more and more and more money. Um, and it all goes back to the old saying, money can't buy happiness. That old fisherman was just content with what he had, and that old wealthy man was just wanting more and more and more. Tony? Yep. You see something your buddy's got, and then you think you need it, and you go out and buy it. Getting debt. You're right. But going back to what Tony said while you were saying that story, it made me think back. I had a thriving lawn care company back when I was like, I think, nine years old around the big town of Marshfield. Y'all know where that's at. Um, and I can remember, I had several accounts, okay, making good money back then, buddy. Uh, but I had one, one yard that I cut, and I stopped to cut it, and I got ready to leave, and it was a little old lady. She was probably in her 80s, and she gave me an orange. All right, so at first I was like, man, are you kidding me? I did all that work, and you're going to give me an orange? I didn't say that to her, obviously. My mom had raised me better than that. So that woman probably would have flattened me right down on her porch. But I took the orange. I said, thank you. But I can remember going home, and you can ask mom about this too, but I, and I, I can remember telling mama, you know, cut this yard and cut this, and then Miss Lowry on the corner, she gave me an orange. And mama kept telling me, son, that's, that's okay. You know, that's all she's got. That's all she's got. She's showing her gratitude with what she has she might not have a whole bunch of money but you know <clears throat> i kept cutting it kept cutting it she kept feeding me fruit before you know it i would go inside and we'd sit down and have a sandwich she'd fix me something to drink long story short that's how i found out the tooth fairy wasn't real because i found a bunch of teeth on top of her piano so that that crushed me i was like miss lowry who's all these teeth over here and that was her kids teeth so we had that talk but we built a great relationship. She was a very old lady, and I was just a young kid. 
by the time we spent together, and I'd go and she, I would I'd actually shovel coal for her. She burnt coal in a little stove. I'd go out and her go shed and shovel coal. But the point is, it wasn't about the money anymore. At first, I was like, you know, I want the money. But then I would show up and cut her grass and do these chores for her, just more for the, the relationship and the friendship. You know, that means a lot more than, than the money did. So I'm glad you reminded me of that, sweet little lady. Yes, sir. That's right. Now, and that's why I, I told Tony just last week, that's why I appreciate this class when y'all do talk and make comments. Because I hear it, too. And we talk and we hear each other's side of things, and that reminded me of that. I hadn't even thought about that until you told your story, and then that reminded me of that. So that's, that's what I love about these open classes where we can, can do that kind of thing. Yes, ma'am. Man, we got a few minutes, don't we? Anything else? That's pretty much wrapping up what I had uh, on Chapter 5. Any other comments? Might as well take advantage of the few minutes we got. Read it a little bit on Chapter 6, right? That way we can at least say we got started on it. Yep, it's in money. And in Chapter 6, it's going to go into that a little bit more, too, that really money, if you think about it, our life, that's all it is. We get hungry, our belly gets growling, we want food. Well, we got to make money, right, to buy the food. It's just a continuous, it's all about money, 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 money. And that's how we get so consumed in it. And I'm sure, like you said, that's why it's mentioned so much, because us as humans, that's our biggest struggle is money. And, Jim, I'm just out of my head, but I, I know it's mentioned in the Bible probably more than anything, right? As far as money, I forget how many verses I was reading something the other day that there's more reference to money in the Bible than anything, pretty much. So that ought to tell you right there, we need some help when it comes to money. We need to know what, you know, what we're doing. Did you have your hand up, Tony? Yep, you're right. It's, talking about that meal, it's always better or feels better when somebody personally does something for you or gives something they've done or made instead of handing you a $20 bill and say, here, you know, go do whatever. But they cook Grady a meal for, you know, all this spread. We won't get in that story, Mike. All that food, that's better than a $20 bill, you know, and you know how much they appreciate you and how much they love you by, you know, the way they're showing it. Anybody can hand you a $20 bill, you know. So good point. All right, so we're going to go back in the folder for Chapter 6. So... Y'all come back next week and we'll start on that. Thank you.